I do thank you for the incredible privilege we have amidst the busyness of life to simply pause and to remember the significance of this day. God, I'm thankful for Easter. I, I'm thankful for the excitement of the resurrection. But I pray this evening that we might truly There is no day in human history in which the scriptures dedicate as much space to as today. As you read through the, the life of Jesus, he really performed thousands, John will say, more miracles than all the books of all time could contain. But only one of them is shared in all four, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. And most of the, the Gospels really only dedicate a paragraph to the feeding of the 5,000. His arrival it is given two chapters in Matthew and Luke. His resurrection is given a chapter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John has one chapter for his resurrection and one chapter for something after the resurrection. But Good Friday has two chapters in Matthew. Two chapters in Mark, two chapters in Luke, and seven chapters in John. See, I think part of this struggle is we come at it with an American mindset, and we assume the day begins at midnight. But a Jew would have seen the day beginning at sunset. And so as Good Friday begins, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples for his final meal, for his final conversation, for his final instruction. And then as Judas gets up and leaves, Jesus goes, and it's interesting, Orville chose to read from John. Did you know that only John calls it a garden? I am convinced John is trying to, to show you this comparison and contrast to the garden when the first Adam faced the temptation and failed. But this new Adam faces an even greater temptation. And, and as he pours out his heart to, in that incredible prayer, as he is recognizing and wrestling with, if there's any other way, Father, please. But there is no other way. So finally, he gets up and he says to his disciples, come. And, and one of my favorite images in all of the, the, the garden is that part passage in chapter 18 when it says, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am! And in the cosmic foreshadowing, they fall on their face. Because there's coming a day all men will bow before him as king. And then they stand up and he says, what, what, what was that again, guys? Because he wanted them to know they were not in charge. This was not a cosmic accident. This was 
Jesus goes. And, and, and if you have your Bibles, I, I wanted to center in, in Matthew's account of the crucifixion. And, and beginning in verse 26, it always amazes me the brevity at which Matthew chooses to share the story. He says, then they released Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, no first century Jew would have missed the significance. Because Rome insisted that you watch a scourging, so that you would know the price of disobedience. Many never made it to crucifixion, because they died in the midst of the scourging. It's literally the word they blasphemed him. 
Now, as you get into the New Testament, blaspheme will change slightly in that it will mean to speak uh, badly of anyone. But an Old Testament Jew would have seen the word blasphemy only in one context. To speak badly of God. And yet Matthew says, they blasphemed him. Waking their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. And this is the phrase I really wanted to just take a, a moment on this evening. Because it may be the single most ironic statement ever heard in the world. Because it is absolutely true. He saved others. Himself, he cannot save They met him in mocking. Look at all these people that Jesus claims to have saved. In fact, if you go back to the
They turn off all the lights in the auditorium. And as they read the seven sayings of Jesus, they blow out one of the candles. So when the last saying, it is finished, is read, it is total darkness. And I thought that would be kind of cool. But I don't think I could ever really recreate the angst. In fact, as you pick it up at the end of chapter 27, it says, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And all hope was gone. demonstrates Jesus' power, Jesus' victory, Jesus' worthiness. But I would argue today is the single most important day in all of human history. Because it's the only hope I have is that Jesus died in my place. I was listening to a sermon by Alice Rebegg and he was talking about the robber who Jesus says today will be in paradise. And he made a statement that just really hit me. He said, imagine standing at the gateway of heaven and the, the robber coming up and one of the angels greeting him and saying, why do you belong here? If the answer to that begins with I, it's the wrong answer. I believe
Paul is going to say, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember to me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember to me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink